November 2nd is not a date of the year 1970 that's of any significance to y'all. But it's a date that in my life is going to be seared into my memory for as long as I live. I was five years old, and I remember this particular evening I was in bed, and all of a sudden there was this loud screaming, shrieking, wailing that goes on out in our living room. And as my father comes in and he picks me up and he carries me across the road to my grandparents' house, I keep asking him the same question, what's wrong? As we get to my grandparents' house, my grandfather, my grandmother, and very quickly my mother, all are in the floor, crying uncontrollably. You see, my uncle, 27 years old, riding in the back of a car with his friends from dinner and a show, is laughing away with them when all of a sudden he takes one breath and he's gone. Dies of an aortic aneurysm. All I can remember that evening was going around to everybody saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? And just being told, your uncle's gone. In the following years, there were three other significant deaths in our family that affected me. And, and as we talk this morning, I want you to keep in your mind that these events characterized or, or formed for me how I saw members interacting each other, with each other in the church. My mother's dad died in 1973, and then 11 months later, my grandfather, my dad's father, passed away. And in each one of these situations, as we talk about this morning, remember the fact that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are to be there for each other. And the ideas that I came up with in regards to how we were there for each other were formulated by how I saw people react when my uncle died and when my two grandfathers died. It was beautiful. They were there to comfort, to hold, to pat on the back. And, and we in the Lord's Church do a marvelous job when there's a death, when there's a marriage, when there's a birth, of coming together and, and being there for each other. Whatever you need, just ask. Just ask. Billy led for us this morning some songs that talks about the closeness that we as brothers and sisters in Christ are to have. One, the one that he led at the last, the blessed be the tie that binds is my favorite because it not only talks about the kind of love that we're to have for each other, but it talks about the manifestation of that love in the verses that follow. And so this morning, I want us to think about the type of love, the type of unity, the type of tie that we as brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to have one for another. Because brothers and sisters, as we read the scriptures, it's much deeper than just being there for each other at funerals. Much deeper than just being there for each other at births or at marriages. I want you to first consider with me what this tie that binds is not. It's not anything to do with an earthly tie, such as marriage, such as family, friendship. All of these things are either social or physical in, in relationship to each other. The tie that binds is not a tie that can be broken like earthly ties, whether it be separation or incompatibility or death. The tie that binds 
as we search the scriptures, is a deep, deep relationship. And I think as we look this morning, much more comprehensive in nature than what we experience today. And we'll talk a little bit about why that is. Turn with me back to Acts chapter 2, verse 40. As Dennis read for the, this for us this morning, we see that on the day of Pentecost, Peter, along with the other disciples, have come together and they are preaching the message of Jesus Christ crucified. And as he brings the message, there are those who are pricked in the heart. These are the same people who had denied who Jesus Christ was, but now they're pricked in the heart, understanding who he is, and they're going to be one in him. Beginning in verse 40, it says, And with I'm sorry, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued, listen to this, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and in many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continually, continuing daily, daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There's another example for us. Look with me at Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Here where certain ones have been giving up of their land and laying the, the monies at the feet of the apostles, we see in verse 32, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of these things he possessed was his own, that they had all things in common. We see out of these two passages the fact that the Lord desires for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to share together. Now, does that mean that I need to immediately go out and sell my house, sell my car, and move into the fellowship hall and, and give everything away? No. Day and time, the nature of, of what we are as a people, as opposed to how they lived back then, dictated that was more, uh, or it was easier for them to do. But we are to certainly understand that all things that we have come from God. And in doing so, understanding that, we are to provide for those in need. James declared in second, uh, James chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, If a brother or a sister be naked and in lack of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Go in peace, be ye warm and filled, and yet give them not the things needful to the body, what doth it profit? Talk's cheap. We can sit here and say all day long that, yeah, I'm there for you, but when it really comes to the point that I need you, what are you able and what are you willing to do for me? John continues this thought in 1 John chapter 3 when he says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So again, sharing with each other, being there for each other, 
is equated to the love of God being in us. Paul again stresses to the Christians in Galatia in chapter 6, verse 10, that as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. When we look at Acts chapter 2 and we look at Acts chapter 4, there's several things that we can see that are very obvious in regards to their relationship one to each other. The first is that they had an intense love for each other and they had a real desire to share. They had a real desire to be there for each other. And again, let's think about the day and time in which they're in. They, again, having had a common background in the fact that they denied Jesus Christ, now had the common background that they are believers in Jesus Christ, have been baptized, have had their sins washed away, and are now are abiding in his doctrine. But only 3,000 of them were saved. Who are now they surrounded by? The remaining Jews who still denied Jesus and do not look favorably on those of the Christian faith. This expression of love was a spontaneous love. And it's a love that is shown for us by God and that we are to emulate by taking into our heart and putting those uh, feelings into action. And I would dare say that as we search the scriptures and we understand context, we understand what God's plan is for us, even in this day and age, it is an uh, example that we are to continue to follow. We need to be emulating those of the first century in regards to our love and care for each other. They showed a great response to a great need. And everyone felt that the possessions that they had, what they had, were not just theirs, but were there to be able to help others. But as you notice, the scriptures say that they were together daily. They abided together daily. So this feeling of love, this feeling of caring, this feeling of taking care of each other came because of a familiarity they had together. And one of the reasons that we in the Lord's Church have such a hard time emulating those of the first century in regards to their love and caring for each other is only half of us come back for services on Sunday evening and maybe even Wednesday evening. At times, when you're getting ready to offer the invitation or when someone's leading the final prayer, the aisles look more like a raceway to the exits than they do a pathway to those around you to share and to love and hold and and to greet. Oftentimes, certainly not the case in this congregation, but oftentimes congregations will only have 50% of people that will actually come for any kind of a fellowship together. And only a handful show up for ladies' classes or work days or special meetings. And unfortunately, in the day and age in which we live, We rarely see each other outside of worship times together. So when we talk about emulating the love and the care that first century Christians had for each other, we certainly get and understand that society and and the, the way that we're spread across geographic regions is different. 
But that doesn't mean that we can abandon the idea, abandon the ideology of what they were and what they were doing one for another. See, what we need to also understand is the significance is not just for us to be together, but the significance is bared out in the fact that this is also an opportunity for us to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, So we, who are many, are one body, where? In Jesus Christ. And severally members one of another. Not only are we members one of another, but we have a common head. We are governed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's He who we live for. It's a blessing, a wonderful blessing that we have in Jesus Christ, and it's a an opportunity for us to fellowship with other Christians. I find it interesting sometimes that we talk about our love for one another, and we need to understand that we're talking about this love that we have, again, not earthly ties, one that is forever, that we are are desiring to spend eternity together in heaven. But for those that we are wanting to spend eternity with in heaven, we can't seem to find time to spend time with them here on earth. How does that work? How does that work? We have to understand the relationship that we are to have to each other. The special bond, that tie that brings us together and take advantage of the opportunities to build on it. Consider with me, then, what that tie is that binds. In First Corinthians 13, Paul says, beginning in verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Our love or our ability to be there for each other, to, to have this bond, this tie that we're talking about, has to begin with love. And he says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And mostly, or most importantly, brothers and sisters, the love that he's talking about is one that never fails. When we talk about the love that Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13, the first thing he says is the love that we are to have for each other is patient. Again, the Greek word here used to describe patience as in patience with people. Love is patient. It's a, it's a word used to describe when a man has been wronged, has the opportunity to get even, and does not because that's not the makeup of our heart. It describes a man who is slow to anger. He now says that love is kind. It means love that is sweet and considerate to everyone. And again, this is an active characteristic that in, in relating that to others has benefits to both you and to them. He says love does not envy. And again, we're talking about the, a love that doesn't covet what another person has. And we don't begrudge the fact that another person has something which one of us doesn't have for ourselves. Again, when we go back to Acts 2, Acts 4, 
we see their ability to, to sell all things and provide for the common good was because there was no envy in their lives. Love does not brag, and it's not arrogant. See, love comes from the example that Jesus Christ gave us. And Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, was an equal with God, came to this earth as a man, made himself a servant, shows us that our lives are to serve him. And when we focus on that, that takes away all the self-importance that a lot of us can get built up in our lives because of physician in the secular world. He says, love does not behave rudely. Love's courteous. It has manners. It's not offensive to others. Love does not insist on its own way. Ever known anybody that has to have their own way all the time? Sure, there are people like that. Paul says this love is an unselfish love. It's a love that is happy in the happiness of others. And it's love that seeks the best for others. It's a love that's not provoked. It's a love that that is not irritable or easily angered. It's a love that's not evil. Again, a love that doesn't render evil for evil. When I'm wronged, what do I do? I forgive. I forgive. You see, there's a graciousness in Christian love which never forgets these fundamental principles that we just talked about, or that there's courtesy, sensitivity, politeness that's always a part of what our Christian behavior is. Paul also says it rejoices not in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. How many times when we've talked to people about the scriptures, and if they find themselves on the wrong side of what God talks about or commands us to be, and we point that out, you don't love me. No, that's exactly the opposite, brothers and sisters. Love is not neutral. Love is that which points out the truth with hope that when someone is in in conflict with it, they can be won back to the Lord. So again, so that we can spend eternity in heaven. This verse talks about the fact that love is never glad when wrong is done. I may love you, but I'm not going to agree with you. And we need to get back to what God's word and his truth is. It's a love that always desires that God's truth prevail. Paul says this love bears all things, meaning it holds up under anything that occurs. It's a love that bears adversity, bears insults, bears troubles, injuries, disappointments without murmuring. It's love that believes all things, looks for the best in others. Again, It's easy in this day and age for us to be very skeptical of people. But as Christians, we need to be looking for the best in others. We take the kindest view of men and circumstances, and we don't jump to evil conclusions about who or what they are. And it doesn't seek hidden or ulterior motives in others. Again, how many times... Somebody does something for you and you're sitting there scratching your head thinking, what do they want? 
What do they want? Paul says that's not the type of love that we're to have. He says this love hopes all things. It's optimistic rather than pessimistic. And there is no hopeless situation that we live in or we find in our life. Brothers and sisters, think about this. This is incredibly important. In this day and age, is it easy to be pessimistic about all things that happen around us? It is, if we focus simply on the things of this world. But as Christians, when we come up out of the waters of baptism, our focus is no longer on the things of this world. The things that we focus on are living for God so that we can live with Him in heaven. And when we get to heaven, we are there with no more tears, no more heartaches, no more sadness, no more temptation. There is never a hopeless situation. And think about this. Even when we come in contact with things here on earth that cause us problems, the Scripture gives us a number of reasons to be hopeful. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who what? Strengthens me. There is no temptation except such as common to man. And in all situations, God provides a way of escape. If God be for us, who can be against us? Brothers and sisters, we should never have a hopeless day in our lives. And as we relate to each other, we should also be able to build others up to help them understand. As a Christian, focus on God, focus on living with Him in heaven. There is never a hopeless day. And he says this love endures all things. It does not become bitter. It doesn't become resentful because of something that happens. It seeks to overcome. And again, be positive in life. When we talk about love, where does our example, how do we learn how to love? Well, from a spiritual perspective, scriptures tell us. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love God, we love Him because He first loved us. And there will be those that say, well, how do you know that God loves you? What proof is there that God loves you? Well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, and again, we talk about this all the time, this is not just world, it's us. Put your name in there, for God so loved me that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, am I worthy of his love? No. Why? Because mankind sins against God. But his love, if you go back and think about all the things we talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, his love is perfect in the characteristics of what we talked about. So that he loved us and sent his son. And then Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies with God, Christ died for us. So we talk about love. We learn the love that we're to have one for another because of God's love and the example of God's love for us. But then how about the examples of the love that we are to have for others? Christ says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If we say that we love Jesus Christ, it's proven out in our obedience to him. And then he says in Luke chapter 10, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. 
and then love thy neighbor as thyself. God tells us if we say that we love him, it's borne out in the way that we live our lives. And in living our lives, it's not just a love for Christ, not just a love for God, but a love for our neighbors. There are other passages that we can look at this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Peter says, Above all things, be fervent in your love among yourselves, for love covereth a multitude of sins. It's important for us as Christians to love one another because the church is to be a loving community. We are here for each other. When we come together as the body of Christ at Wiley, we care about each other. We take care of each other. And when we truly love each other, again, we're not looking to find fault, but we're ready to forgive when someone says, I've done wrong. If we love one another, we desire to forgive because we know God forgives us. And when we love our brothers, we accept the fact that, you know what, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We don't sit there and try to figure out, okay, what'd they do? What'd they do? And I've shared this with you before. I cannot begin to tell you the number of times that people, when a sermon was finished, would come up to me and say, I really wanted to respond. I know I have a need in my life. I know I need the prayers of the church. I know I need encouragement. But I didn't respond because I was afraid of what others would think of me. Brothers and sisters, to understand the kind of love that God desires for us to have one for another, we need to understand that we're not looking to find fault in others, but we're there to be there when they ask for forgiveness. Peter also says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth, unto feigned love of the brethren, love one another from the heart fervently. Again, to purify our souls means that we are to have our sins forgiven. So to be part of the body, we have to now be brought into the body in the way in which Christ is instructed. We are obedient to the truth. And he says here, that we are to have a sincere love for the brethren. Again, the first word for love here is, is from the word Philadelphia, which means a love of the brethren. But then he also says that we're to add agapeo, love, a strong word for love, which expresses an understanding purpose. It's a, it's a love that is shown for us by God and the fact that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And again, that's the type of love that we are to emulate and to follow one to another. Turn with me to John chapter 13. In this passage, we see that Jesus has washed the feet of his disciples. And we see verse, in verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus, what extent should my love for my brethren go to? Well, John tells us, he says, by this we know love 
because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. See, there should be nothing in our lives that we shouldn't be willing to do for our brethren, as long as it doesn't cause us to be disobedient to God. That's the type of love and caring and closeness that we need to have. Why? Well, because, again, just as with the first century Christians who were living amongst people who did not love Jesus, who did not love Christianity, we live in a society that does not love Jesus, that does not love Christianity, and we need to be able to have a life that's separate and apart from sin. I can't have a life apart from sin if I live as a part of the world. I live in the world, but if, it's, if all I surround myself is the things of the world, the people of the world, what am I going to get sucked back into? The ways of the world. We have to have a life that separates us apart from sin. We have to have a life that allows us the relationship with God that he calls for us to have. And we have to have and we need to have a relationship with fellow sufferers. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 32, Peter was talking about the love. It's an unfeigned love of the brethren. This term for unfeigned is apokritos, and it simply means a non-hypocritical or a, not a phony love. When we understand what is at stake as Christians, we should be looking to do everything we can to help each other make it through the times of life that Satan throws obstacles in our way, that Satan throws temptations in our way. And when Satan dangles that carrot in front of us, offering us to come back. The reason that our love, one for another, needs to be unfeigned, non-hypocritical, non-phony, is because too often the the love that we are associated with or or, or, uh, have put on us by those in the world is a phony love. A love that's not going to be able to sustain suffering saints. See, the world is full of, what have you done for me lately? And with that, what have you done for me lately, comes associates, business acquaintances, friends, politicians, who profess the greatest respect and love for us and for each other. And it doesn't take anything for them to turn around and knife someone in the back. We shouldn't need to worry about the relationship of something like that happening one with another. We need to be able to count on each other and to be there for each other. You see, the love of the early Christians for each other was sincere. It was heartfelt. Peter again says in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8, finally all of you be of one mind. Having compassion for one another, love as brothers, tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. You know, we in this society get so caught up in sports teams and, and you know, 
Dallas Cowboys, perfect example. Oh, any, if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, you want Dallas Cowboy to win, right? You want that team to win. You don't sit there and pick out individuals and say, I hope they win and I hope he loses, right? As the body of Christ, we look at each other as a family, a family headed by God, headed by Jesus Christ, that we are striving forward together to succeed. And to be successful in this life, brothers and sisters, is going to take every one of us because we all face struggles. We all face temptations. We all face those things that are going to draw us back into the pattern of life that Satan would desire us to have. And if you come up to me and say, Chuck, I'm worried about you because of this, this, and this, what Paul tells us, what Christ tells us, what Peter tells us is, I should be falling down on my knees appreciative to you because you love me and you love my soul more than you're worried about whether I like you or not. Think about that. When we tell somebody the truth, I don't like you. Okay? I'm not worried about you liking me, but I want you to understand I love you and I love your soul enough to tell you the truth of God's word so that you have the same opportunity to spend in heaven that everybody else does. Not only was the tie that they had in the first century based upon love, but it was based upon unity. Christ says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I will build my church and the gates of Hades Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus says that he built his church, one church, singular, not churches. Paul reinforces this declaration when he says in Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Excuse me. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope for your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This unity that Paul talks about, this unity that we're to have as brothers and sisters, is the unity that Christ prayed for. In the garden, you go back to John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23, he says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me. When we talk about the oneness together, we're talking about emulating the oneness that Christ and God had and have in their relationship. That they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me. That they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. While today's world desires diversity, the Bible places emphasis on an extraordinary amount of emphasis on the value of unity 
Now, we know domestic unity is good and it's pleasant and there are passages that talk about that. But religious oneness is the antidote for all that ails society and the problems that we have in this world. Think about this. If we had the one mind of Jesus Christ and are focusing on and gearing our lives toward that, where would we have disagreement? Christianity is the sole avenue to God in the final days that the New Testament talks about. It's not merely a religion. Christianity is the religion that God has provided for us. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus Christ has laid the path to God comes through him. And when he lays the path to God through him, there is no other path we have to worry about. This unity that we talk about, this is more more than just an atmosphere of friendliness. It comes through a unity of the truth. Truth is consistent. And again, the admonition that we have is that Christians all speak the same thing and there be no divisions among us. Again, go back to Acts chapter 2, the first passage we looked at this morning. In verse 42, what does Luke write? And they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine, which was the doctrine they were receiving from the Holy Spirit, who received it from Christ, who received it from God. A oneness of doctrine. Oneness of doctrine right here. Where God has spoken, guess what? What I think doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that we are to be perfected together, the same mind and in the same judgment. He speaks on behalf of Christ and the authority that we are to speak the same thing. And we're to think the same thing spiritually in regards to God, His teachings, and how we're to live. And again, if we speak the same thing, brothers and sisters, there should be no divisions among us. Christ wants his people to be one. He does not want his people to be divided. Again, one body, for in one spirit were we all baptized into one body. You go back, and that one body was a church established on the day of Pentecost and has been around as the Lord's church for over 2,000 years. The baptism in the water that provides this unity is for the forgiveness of sins and it perfectly parallels what Paul talks about later to the Ephesian church about the fact that they had been cleansed by the washing of the water in conjunction with the word. And it was only at that point in which they were then added to the body of Jesus Christ. See, we can't have unity in the Lord when we call for those or we say that, they, that we have unity, we back up. We cannot have unity the Lord calls for when we are trying to fellowship those outside the body of Christ. It cannot happen. We cannot have unity with those who are not of God's word and of the body of Christ. The tie that binds us, brothers and sisters, is based upon love 
and it's based upon a unity which Christ makes possible. And again, it's perfectly illustrated, both in the passages that we've seen this morning, but also in this song that Billy led for us, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. And as we talk about what is the unity, the tie that has us together, the love and the unity, that was verse 1. This evening, I would invite you back as we look at verses 2, 3, and 4 of this song and look at how that love, that unity, that tie is manifested in our lives together. I told you in 1973 and 1974, I had three deaths that I experienced of people incredibly close to me. The first one was my mother's father. The third one was my father's father. And tucked in there between them was this young lady, Deneen Mitchell. Deneen was my best friend. We'd grown up together. I can't remember a time in my life when I hadn't known her or been around her. We went to church together, class together, all we you know, spent time together. Suddenly, in the late 1973, early 1974, Denise quit being around. And as I'd asked my parents, where's she at? What's going on? She's sick. She's sick. Later found out that she had cancer. One of her legs had quit growing, so she, she got to the point where she was walking uh, oddly. We would go over there every once in a while. But the last time I remember seeing Deneen, we'd gone to her house and she was laying on the couch, covered up because she was cold because of the treatments that she was getting. And as my parents walked in to talk to her parents and try to comfort them, I went over. And not knowing what else to do at nine years old, I just simply grabbed her hand and we held hands. And I said, what's going on? I hurt. I'm sorry. I just wish I could feel better. And the longer that we talked, it became obvious that the more pain that she was in, the the more tired she was getting. But in the back room, I could hear her parents saying, why my child? Why my child? That Sunday was the last time I ever saw Deneen. She passed away the following Friday. And as we talk about the love and unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, can I tell you that it was only because of that unity, only because of that tie, only because of that love that Christ had for us and then we have for each other, where we were able to express to her parents, this is not permanent. You will be with your child again. Can you imagine, as we talked about in class this morning, Dennis was showing this morning, being a parent whose child passes and not thinking there's ever any hope? Our God offers us hope. Our God offers us comfort. Our God offers us peace. Our God offers us the ability to live in this world and to be his children. And through that life, we have the ability to influence others. We have the ability to comfort each other. We have the ability to strengthen each other. 
And yes, sometimes we have to have the ability to correct each other. But brothers and sisters, as we think about our relationship with God this morning, as we think about our relationship with each other, they're parallel. I may think I have a great relationship with God, but if I don't have a great relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, guess what? I don't have a great relationship with God. To have that type of tie that Christ calls for, the type of tie that we see within the Lord's word, we have to come into the body. have to be a part of God's body. And the way that becomes possible is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've not put the Lord on in baptism, you've not made that great confession, I would beg of you, don't put it off another day. Don't put it off another day. And if you're here this morning, you are a Christian. And your life is empty. You know you're missing something. Can I suggest to you that what you're missing is the relationship that we're to have one to another. And you can start making that relationship better this morning. By coming, expressing the concerns, the cares that you have on your heart. And allowing us to pray with you, to hug you, to love you. If you have needs, come. As together we stand and sing.